Praise God. Last week, we read the first companion passage for our message on achieving spiritual formation and precision through prayer. And we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. And 18. So let me read that as we position ourselves for Daniel 9, where you are at just now. So hold on, right there with Daniel. I need to read the uh, companion passage which we spent time on last week. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Some other versions say liberty. And we, who with unveiled faces, no masks, we need them now, but he's saying unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 to 6. In the first year of Darius, son of Zex, A Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princesses, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. The Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Eternal God, we honor you and thank you for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to deliver your word today. And the opportunity that all of us have to hear your most exalted word 
to hear your heart, to hear your mind. You have prepared our hearts and we know, dear Lord, that we will be ready to respond to your word. So grant us the extra grace that is needed in order for us to respond appropriately. And dear Lord, to be energized and empowered to do your work because of the assignment that rests upon our lives. We seek these mercies today and this fresh anointing. Through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Praise God. You may kindly be seated. Um, Reverend Nurenda. Today we are getting into part two of a message that we have entitled Achieving Spiritual Formation and Precision Through Prayer. The second part is um, really the final part in the sense that there was part one dealing with um, uh, the Apostle Paul and part two now dealing with Daniel. In our initial definitions segment last week, I say that in the Christian context, spiritual formation is a process of spiritual growth and maturity in Christ Jesus. We indicated that the word formation in this case, it's understood as being an organic, lifelong, and holistic process involving right thinking, right behaviors, and right feelings of individuals and communities. Now, this is a very important arrangement in the sense that when it is looked at biblically, it is considered the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. And that is what we find amplified in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, which we read a little earlier. And so we say that it is rightly called spiritual formation because it is founded upon the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And this wouldn't have come at a better time than these two weeks when we have been engaged, engaged in seeking the Lord and calling upon his name, hearing from him, and practically experiencing the operation, the high operation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And if you haven't been here for any one of these sessions, you definitely have missed something. But there is yet one more session you can be able to attend this evening as we conclude. We have learned a little bit about precision, which we've defined as the quality, condition, or fact of being exact. 
and accurate. Pastor Haggai was saying yesterday in the session, sometimes we actually have time on our hands. So, this is not an indictment, just an awakening. There are some of you sons and daughters who this very week, when we're fasting and praying, you've had the time on your hands, you've been free. But it was easier to do something else. Now, in that state of mind, we are praying that the power of the Holy Spirit would nudge you and remind you that your life depends on prayer. Your survival during times of COVID-19 depends on prayer. We can no longer look at prayer as something we tuck away on the side and remember when we're in real trouble. It's our very life. It forms us. In prayer, you have no option but to be formed and worked on and, 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 and turned into the person you're supposed to be. That's the nature of true prayer. And we taught on it early in the year as uh, COVID-19 was just beginning. This is something we need to continue to revisit. So spiritual formation takes place in prayer. Any child of God attaining or possessing this dual combination of spiritual formation and precision, we said last week, will have notable impact in society. And so today we learn again how this powerful combination can be achieved through prayer. So we looked at some lessons on spiritual formation and precision, which we have defined. We began with Paul's life. Number one, in regard to Paul's life, we observed that the Damascus Road encounter was really the beginning or the trigger for lifelong holistic transformation for the Apostle Paul. It was lifelong, literally lifelong. His life was turned around. We explored those historical incidences of what was related to his conversion in Acts 9, verse 1 to 9. And observed how God motioned to someone else in the city of Damascus, called Ananias. But take note, we observe that for Paul, or Saul at this point, the turnaround was dramatic. He was struck down. And by the time he was getting up from, his, uh, from the ground, let's put it that way, where he had, where he had been thrown he didn't just choose to lie there. He was struck by the power of God. And the Bible says he tried to open his eyes and he could not see. And somebody had to lead this, this, this giant of a man who had gone and gotten letters to go and arrest Christians. He himself was now arrested. And he was being led through by hand into Damascus, the city where he was supposed to 
the arresting Christians. And so we say it when we look at his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to 14, and 15 and 16, 17 and 18, which we have read, where he is reflecting on the experiential uh, reality of his own life and narrating what happened to Moses. The things he's talking about regarding Moses were things he had experienced himself, starting on that dramatic uh, occurrence on the Damascus Road. And he understood that this was now something to be sustained as it was to be sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we remember these words in Romans 12 where he's telling people to offer themselves as a living sacrifice to God as the most reasonable act of worship. Very powerful indeed. Then secondly, we observe that the Ananias encounter was a lesson in how spiritual assignments are received by believers. Looking at Acts chapter 9, verse 10 and 11, sorry, 10 to 19, we saw how Ananias was a disciple who had experienced spiritual formation. And God spoke to him. And the record we observe there is just that simple indication. There was a disciple named Ananias. Where? In Damascus. And I did say last week, let it be said about you. There was a disciple. There was a disciple in Lusaka called Longo. A young engineer whom God picked and began to use. Let it be said that there was a disciple called Chipo whom God had gifted with special ability to sit on the, um, uh, on the keyboard. That there was a disciple named AOV whom we would have to call back. Because all of us have been gifted with different things. And you know, sometimes we take these things for granted. But remember, we said that uh, thirdly, the Lord's instructions that came to Paul as well as to Ananias were a lesson in obedience backed by precision. We said there's a calling, then there's an assignment. A calling plus assignment equals spiritual mandate. And I reminded us, before I go to Daniel's account here, this is important. On each of our lives, there is a calling. So remember this. You're a Christian who happens to be an accountant. And when your Christian witness fails in your accountancy role, you are failing in your calling. You are not an accountant who happens to be a Christian. You are a Christian who happens to be an accountant. So how is your Christianity shaping your accountancy profession? That is the question. Because there are many bright accountants out there. Some of them brighter than you. Some of them still hold the record as the best at I don't know which year in the country. And you're with them in the office. So what do you bring to the table? 
When you are God's child, there is a calling on your life. With a calling, there is an assignment. When you have a calling and an assignment, you have a spiritual mandate. So come on, Zambia is looking for those who will understand that your profession does not define you, but you as God's child defines your profession. I can't say this enough. And beloved, when God's children begin to act in that version, Zambia can and will truly be transformed. See, I've often won, I've often said, people play around, especially in this country, they play around a lot with this thing. Even, even Christians jest. They jest about this thing about Zambia being a Christian nation you know, and because there was a Christian nation and because there was a Christian nation. You, you who's saying that, I must say to you, when you can say that, you have failed in your witness. It doesn't matter who you are and who you write for and who reads your pages. You have failed in your profession because in your calling, because if you did your job, there would be no room for you to say, and because there was a Christian nation, the need you see must be met by you. And you say, no, but Bishop, is that one who's responsible? No, is that one who's messing up? They are messing up. If they reached you, if they touched you, if you are close to them, maybe they wouldn't be messing up. If you reached them, and maybe they came into your sphere of influence, they wouldn't. And all I'm saying is that Whenever you see something yawning that's contrary to what you expect, it is speaking of the need that abides. It is speaking the fact that God is still saying, they, you, and I must carry the gospel and teach all nations. It means the nation is not sufficiently taught and who must teach? It is those who have a calling, who have been assigned. When we see the needs, it means that we are yet to do the full work of discipling of the nation. You think a perfect nation drops from heaven? No. God called imperfect men and women from fishing, from tax collecting, from all kinds of walks of life and say to them, go into all the world and teach. So this business that we keep seeing in Zambia, Bring sorrow to the heart. And people can play around with a truth so solemn, so sacred. God is calling for sons and daughters to arise. And this is where we bring a warning, especially to political leaders who play around with this thing and think the church is neither coming nor going. We have a spiritual mandate. That's why sometimes you won't like us because some things we say may not be good to your ears. We have a spiritual mandate and when we have a spiritual mandate, we hear from God. We speak into situations prophetically because we have a mandate from on high. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, if I preached this 10 years ago, if I preached this 30 years ago, people would be up standing and jumping on the pews. Ah, but these days, this is, you think this is ordinary preaching? Come on, wake up. I said, wake up. This is no ordinary preaching. This is no ordinary saying. You have a spiritual mandate. Wake up and do the mandate. 
I said, wake up and do the mandate. Wake up and do the mandate. In Jesus' name. Spiritual mandate is always about what you're meant to do for others. Not about you, not about me. So you young people, with the prowess God has given to you, we are relying on you. We are relying on you to bring a difference. We're relying on you. I said, we are relying on you. Let me explain. We'll be getting Daniel shortly. Let me explain. Today, the liberal ideologies that carry the secular agenda in both palms of their hands, the liberal ideologies that are positioned and funded to change society have targeted you young people. They've targeted you. That is why in many countries they have all these crazy and strange sounding sometimes civil society organizations that they set up with long names around some indicators and, and, uh, and, and uh, outcomes that their organizations are shaped for. So they set them up and they target young people and they keep telling us, no, 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 young people need to be left to, left to make choices. No young people, no young people, the life of the young people. And the young person they are talking about, they don't really have a true interest in you. Some of you young people don't understand, as we've been saying in the past few weeks and months, they are targeting you for you to be severed from the guidance of your parents. And so these liberal uh, um, ideologies come with an emphasis on rights and choices that are tearing young people away from the cover of their parents and in Western countries from the cover of the church because in Western countries, young people are away from the churches. The demographic is very, very, very sorry, a very sorry one to observe. Why are they doing that? They've counted the years. They've looked at those of us who are nearly 60. And they say, ah, 30 years from now, they will be gone. So they're targeting you. So the values we stand on will be completely changed. So when we, we're not this homophobic lot that doesn't know whether we're coming or going. We understand that God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. We're not homophobic. We are trying to call the nations back to the owner who designed marriage. That it is between a man and a woman. So they're coining words like gender options and identity, gender options, gender what gender? Gender is determined by God, but they are telling you that you don't have to determine. Don't let a doctor 
A doctor has no right to determine your gender at birth. They must leave that place blank. When you grow up to a level where you can know what you feel, because they say some people are trapped in bodies where their feelings are different. This is in the comprehensive sexuality education out of school curriculum, which they think we know nothing about, but we have it in our hands. We have seen the language of this wicked ideology. We have seen the language of these wicked words centered and focused on your children. So we have an assignment to ask you to wake up and take the future that God is placing into your hands. So Frank, let me pick on you. We can't have young people like you deciding maybe to run for office. I know they're trying to run as an independent candidate in the constituency here. You see, Frank, your message must be clear. As a young person, we rely on people like you. And during elections, these donors are ready to dangle the carrot on young candidates like you who may not have enough money to run a campaign. So if we have taught you anything, Frank, this is the time to stand up and say what you stand for without fearing as to whether they'll vote for you or not. This is the time. This is the time. You've sat here many years and listened to tons of sermons. Go, son. Go now, son. Make it happen. Make it happen the right way. And I like the fact that you're, you're running as an independent because this party business is not okay. It has soiled society so badly. Do I have young people in the house? Lift up my hand and shout, praise the Lord. So like Frank, many of you may, may choose that path, but when you do, you are now a Christian who happens to be a, a politician. So what does your Christianity bring to your political practice? When you can change the politics by your participation, we will say we have transformation. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Macedonian call was a lesson in prophetic precision. So let's look at Daniel. And this tells you how we can do this. The lessons from Daniel explain how, exactly how we can achieve spiritual formation where God's Holy Spirit is working on us. So when we are fighting for a revision or suspension and the redoing of the curriculum and comprehensive sexuality education, it's because we are also looking years ahead. We have read the language. What we see in both, the, especially the out-of-school curriculum for CSE, 
what we see is in there is strange. That's not how you write the curriculum. I wish they could do the same. I wish they could come up with another curriculum for how we can come out of poverty. You know, they, they've got books. Come, no, no, it doesn't make sense. They have got books. This is huge. For comprehensive sexuality education. Look, what are we? What are we? What are we looking for? Let's go make manuals and let's write the similar principles. And let's say, let's say, let's integrate them in all the subjects the way they've done it for CSE. If our real need is, is uh, for us to change our economy and uh, transform the way we do business, let's invest. No, seriously. I know one man wrote about that and they were laughing around. No, how can you talk about entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship. No, young people are getting pregnant. These manuals have been done for many years. Young people are still getting pregnant. It's not the silver bullet. It's not the only answer. There are other things. And that's what we are talking about. We will not stop. Because we have a spiritual mandate. <laughs> so let's learn from Daniel and then we'll be wrapping up some very quick lessons from Daniel. We identify the following dominant characteristics in Daniel's life which enabled him to change. First, the power of Scripture. The power of Scripture. In Daniel chapter 9, verse number 2, the Bible says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures. I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures. So Daniel understood. From where? From where? Again, their emphasis has been there this week. It was there again yesterday as we were being led in prayer. Understood from the scriptures. What did he understand? according to the word of the Lord. So that's why I'm saying, please hear me. That's why I'm saying we can't, as a nation, just operate according to manuals that were designed in Europe and Americas. And they're saying, no, 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 this is Zambian, this is Zambian. There's nothing, nothing Zambian in there. They've removed the word homosexuality. They've removed the word lesbian because they knew that we would start fighting from day one. They removed those. But the ideology is in there. That's according to the standard approach to comprehensive sexuality education. It's there. Standard. Standard language. 
But you and I must understand from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord. Daniel's prayer, which is actually said to be one of the longest prayers in the Bible, quotes heavily from the Old Testament. It quotes from the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. It quotes from the Psalms. It quotes from prophetic literature. And if you look at the prayer, just briefly, you will see the things that are being said. For instance, in verse number seven, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, and all Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Oh Lord, we and our kings, our princesses, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God, uh, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. He's quoting from the Torah, that's from Deuteronomy. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws that he gave to us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey. He goes on and on. It's a long prayer, quoting extensively from portions of the Old Testament. It is similar to Nehemiah's prayer, which is in chapter 1, verse 4 to 11. You see Nehemiah praying the same way. The simple thing to state is this. Why is it important that he learned something from the Bible, it says something about the power of Scripture. Because to us, the Bible, this word, is the final rule of faith and conduct. We believe everything it says. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 to 17 makes it very clear. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it is profitable for reproof, for doctrine, for correction. He goes on and on for teaching. He mentions all those things. Why? He says so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So scripture is your guide. What we have to learn in order to transform our nation is to see what the word says and see how we are conforming ourselves. How much of the word is, is affecting you? How much of the word is impacting you. So in prayer, you use the word. Praying from the word means that you're praying directly into and out of God's will. Somebody shout hallelujah. The word. Because what's already spoken, God will do. He will do. So may I invite you to have prayer in your heart and in your mind that would enable you that would enable you to have a fresh passion for the word so let me ask you when did you last 
read the word just to get some insight from it. When did you last do that? We learn in Sunday school, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day as you grow, grow, grow. There's no, there's no other way, no other way. There's got to be a fresh commitment to the word. The things I'm talking about concerning Western nations are happening that way because people have now moved away from the word. I've told you before about seminaries, theological institutions that started really well. That started on the foundation of God's word. They may carry a name today as great institutions, but they have departed. The Harvards, the Yishans were started as an actual outreach into society by the Christian community. But now the word, oh, no, this, this can't be true. No, this is, your mind now is getting. In fact, in fact, in fact, I would even rather that we turn to 2 Timothy, before I go to the last three items here. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. Let's pick it up at verse 15 and, and just hear where wisdom comes from. How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise. So sorry, it's not your degrees. I have a few of them, but it's not these degrees. It's not anything. It's not your degrees. It's not your learning in class at Chakuti Chakuti University, and you want people to always know that you came from Chakuti Chakuti University. None of that makes you wise. According to the Bible, it is the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So go on now into verse 16. For all scripture, let's read it together. One, two, three. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That, go on, go on, 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Somebody shout hallelujah. Daniel was reading the scriptures when he learned from the scriptures. Let's find out what he learned. Lesson number two. Let's find out what he learned. Lesson number two. Dominant characteristic. Number two. The power of prophetic revelation and guidance. The Bible says he learned from the scriptures and in the scriptures he actually observed a particular revelatory word spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. So, when you have given yourself to prayer sufficiently, this is the result. The word of the Lord comes. Prophetic guidance is real. And like we said last week, you don't have to wait for some prophet from, from Nigeria or Cameroon because we have these tingling ears. We, we hear a strange uh, accent. Then, yeah, hey, hey, hey. And you don't even know the fellow. You don't know how many times he's married and divorced. 
And some of them have lit just literally come out of some crazy, uh, questionable relationship out there. And they're out there just as long as saying, hey, hey, this is your day. Hey, this is your day. Tomorrow is your day. Hey, hey, hey. Do you know who you are running to? The word of the Lord given by Jeremiah. Daniel knew who Jeremiah was. Hello? He knew who Jeremiah was. Because lifestyle is everything. And specifically, part of what he was reading was coming out of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 9 and 10. Let me read it for you. Jeremiah 29, verse 9 and 10. This is what the Lord says. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Imagine you're Jeremiah and you're reading this. So he's reading. First of all, read verse 9. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. So some of these people you run to have not been sent by Jesus. Are you listening? They have called themselves, they've given themselves a brand and a name and just mentioning Jesus isn't enough. Remember Matthew 7, 21? You know the history of how I, that, that word has never left my mind. There's a story behind it. That's not important for now. Many shall come to me saying, Lord, 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 which means they called on the name of Jesus. We did many mighty miracles in your name. And he will say to them, depart from me. You workers of iniquity. So they may mention his name, they may try to show miracles, but they are workers of iniquity. He says, I never knew you. In other words, I didn't send you even. So, but verse 10. But Daniel sees something. But this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. So this is what Daniel is reading. My, he says, 70 years, it has come. The time is now. The time is now. Just like you're understanding, this is the season for what God is calling us to do as Zambia. So Daniel sees, he sees that. And he decides, let's go back to Daniel. They'll come to you. They will call upon me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 9. It says, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Verse number three, so I turned 
to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer. So look, what was the basis of this prayer? The basis of this prayer was, was what? The word. Because it was written and spoken regarding 70 years. This is how we pray. We pray things that are already established in heaven. How do we discover them? By reading his word. How do we discover them? As we are in prayer, God speaks to us. So he says, he says, as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The word plays a key role. You are who the word says you are. It doesn't matter what they think about you. If the word says it, you are that. Even if they write a report on you and they fire you and accuse you of things that you have not done, you are not what they accuse you of. You are what God says you are. His word is the basis for what you must do. I can tell you many things from personal life regarding what God has done for us in this area. I will leave that for now and go on to the third, second from last item. In verse 2c, we see the role of precision. Where 70 years is mentioned, the prophet Jeremiah is mentioned, the desolation of Jerusalem is mentioned as lasting 70 years. So there's precision. God will work with precision, some exactness. And I want you to know, he's never too late, he's never too early. There's some things you've been waiting for. You can have God deal with you now with better understanding on your part as you read his word. Ah, may his word come to pass in your life. For this case, the desolation was to last 70 years. You see, timing, when it comes to the details of God's plan, is important. Let me share with you a little experience before I go on to the last item here, and we will close shortly. In uh, 1999, some of you might remember, there were some situations happening here at that time. And because of those situations, we were at a place where my wife and I began to pray because there were options that we had. We remembered some offers that we had had while we were studying in the, in the USA uh, 10, 11 years earlier and thought, ah, time to leave Lusaka, time to leave Zambia. So on one of those nights, 2AM shared with you many stories about 2AM. It's become a very famous thing in our home. At 2 a.m., kneeling by the bedside. And at that moment, the Lord dropped so clearly. This time it wasn't on the wall as has been, had been happening quite often and has happened a few other times in our lives. It dropped so clearly as a person speaking to another person. And on my knees there came the name 
Global Frontiers International. I wrote that down. And in a row, seven things we were to do came, chop, 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 and I wrote those things down. And if you pick up our card for Global Frontiers International, which is our leadership and humanitarian organization, and you look at the back and look at the seven things that we're meant to do, those things were given in a spur of the moment while I was on my knees. And you know, humanly speaking, I thought, ah, so God has given us something to do. Ah, it's time to leave, time to go. And as soon as that thing was done, I heard the Lord saying, not now. Not now. No, but how can it be? So much is going on. God said, not now. And there were express instructions to shelve that revelation. To shelve it. Shared it with my wife. We talked about it. It looked so good, but it wasn't the time. The time had not come. It was not until 2012 when we had extra instruction now to register it and share those plans with some of our leaders in Pentecostal Assembly of God, Zambia, who welcomed it. As as you know, in 2015, Bishop Nonde came here to launch that ministry as a ministry that they blessed that would be able to help with leadership training in our entire uh, fellowship and so on. And yet, you know, at that time, when God gave that thing, immediately we thought, ah, it was time to depart. No, God said no. He was the one giving that channel and that vehicle. And he had to determine how it was going to be used. And when I look back now, oh my goodness, we could have made a major mistake. We could have made a major mistake. Today, some of you were here on Thursday, understand, and it won't be for today. Maybe this afternoon we can share more. Today we can look back and say, listening to God and his revelation power and listening to his timing pays because then God begins to guide you. How? And we've been able to see how this instrument, this instrument, GFI, has become a tool to help so many, lift up so many. And in just the past few months since March, over 60,000 lives touched in 10 countries here in Southern Africa. I would never have dreamt that in 1999. But when you wait for the time and when you wait for God's season and for his timing, he will look at what you need to do and he will instruct you. Your 70 years may be now. I said, 70 years may be now, but it may also be tomorrow. Wait, wait. I said, wait. Is the word clear? Wait, wait. The role of precision. You've got to be precise. Be precise in your social decisions. Some of you are only 19 or 20 and you're thinking about marriage now. At 19 or 20, you should not be thinking about marriage. Think about career. Think about what you're meant to do in this life. Too early, too early, too early. In our time, we could have given you a little bit of uh, some benefit of doubt. Because in our time, we grew up and we matured much more quickly than, than you, you very bright young people. You are not maturing as quickly as we used to. That's why we are wanting you to stay in the church. I was 24 when I got married. She was 26. In our time, we were, yes, sure, she, I was 26. Uh, uh, now I'm confusing myself. I, <laughs> I was 24, she was 22. So, so, so. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, you don't make those kinds of mistakes with a woman's with a, with a woman's age. No, no, no. You could be in trouble. But I have asked for forgiveness, so I think I'll be okay. <laughs> All right, the last one. Quickly, let's deal with the last one. It's three to six. It's the role of prayer. So this is very obvious. We talked about the power of scripture, the power of prophetic revelation and guidance, and the role of precision, the role of prayer. So today when we think of a 22-year-old, how many of you can allow a 22-year-old today to get married? They're still playing video games. <laughs> so, so, first anniversary of marriage, he will want a, a video game, an upgrade of video game consoles. <laughs> ah, innocent. <laughs> Spanky. Ah, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's finish this. So, the role of prayer. See, earnest prayer leads to action. What you're seeing in verse number four there, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And you read the whole prayer. I prayed to the Lord. So, earnest prayer leads to action. I want you to record Daniel's disciplined life of prayer and his miraculous survival in the den of lions. If you go to chapter 6, you will see in verse 10 that while there was a threat over his life, Daniel returned to his house and knelt down. How many times? Three times a day and prayed. Opened the window predictably and prayed. So what's happening in chapter 9? It's not happening because now there's a crisis called 70 years is over. Uh-uh. He's responding and observing 70 years is over because he's been a man of prayer. Hallelujah. When you read on Daniel chapter 6, read on to verse 15 and see how God saved him from the den of lions. Observe with me in chapter 6 and particularly verse number 15. He says the men, chapter 6, very powerful. The men went as a group to the king and said, remember, O king, that according to the law, the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Even the king gave testimony to his consistency and actually invoked what was going to be the reality for Daniel. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring so it couldn't be moved and with the rings of these nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Ah, 
they may block you, they may cage you, they may write you off. I am here to announce to you that when you pray, I said when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, their cages will break, their traps will trap them. I prophesy over your life, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. When God's children pray, their God in heaven hears them. Hears them. Their God in heaven hears them. Sealed it. So that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Who has the final say? Jehovah. Ah, come on. Who has? Who has the final say? Who has the final say? Verse 18. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating, and without entertainment, being brought to him. And he could not sleep. Just hear me, beloved. Don't lose sleep when they want you to lose sleep. Let them lose sleep while they wait to think the things they have done against you will work. But in the meantime, who has the final say? Jehovah. Because you will be on your knees praying and saying, Lord, have mercy on them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the meantime, they have no sleep. They fail to go out and have their ice cream. They fail to go out because they are waiting to read the news the next day that something bad has happened to you. Verse 19. And at the first light of dawn, that's why they say in the village, usually the witch that visited you in the night is the first one to come and greet you. <laughs> that's what they say in the village, at least Kwasu. The wizard himself or herself, after they play with you in the night, then they come to check early in the morning. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried. What's the problem? Come you fixed Daniel. Forget about him. Why are you hurrying there? He hurried to the lion's den. <laughs> when he came near the den, he called, Daniel! <laughs> himself. Have you expected him to be eaten? So he calls, Daniel! In an anguished voice. Daniel, the servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Bring it on. I say, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Hallelujah. Daniel answered, Oh, king, live forever. <laughs> 
Hallelujah. Oh, somebody shout the name of Jesus. For he has been given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is God, to the glory of God the Father. Daniel answered, All king live forever. Who has the final say? My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me. Here I am because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Hallelujah. Somebody give a shout. Somebody give a shout. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift out the den. Lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound. He will say no wound. Now that's not always. There are times when you may have wounds. Even then it does not matter. Because when you have wounds, you say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He lays a table in the midst of my enemies. So wound or no wound. But today, I'm also speaking to those who are walking out without wounds. Walking out without wounds. Because God from on high sent, sent his angels from on high to rescue you. I have come to announce your rescue is on the way. COVID or no COVID, your rescue has been determined in heaven. Whether COVID was done in the lab or not, now they are saying, oh, it was some animal there. Let's, so let's look after the environment and the animals because you see what the animals have done. They brought Ebola. Uh, you know, you've seen the advert? They almost brought Ebola. Uh, they brought uh, uh, SARS uh, too. And now they've brought COVID and so on. And then there are conspiracy theories that maybe it may have been made in the, in the lab, whatever the case is. COVID or no COVID, there is a God. I said there is a God. There is a God in heaven. And when Daniel was lifted, no wound was found on him because, say it with me, because he trusted in his God. Prayer is where we show our trust in God. His earlier foundation was fixed. Because in Daniel 1.8, when they wanted him to do evil, Daniel purposed in his heart never to defile himself. When you read chapter 2, the king has a crazy dream. Daniel, the king calls all these satraps and all these diviners. They fail and the king says, I'm going to kill all of you. All of you are going to die because you failed. Daniel comes and he says, king, please spare them. And he goes and tells his friends, look, let's go before God who reveals mysteries. And God reveals that mystery, answers, and Daniel, with a serious concern, even asks for the, for the wicked prophets of Baal. He says, please spare them. Spare them. That's what righteousness can do. Today, I'm talking to people who are seeking to attain spiritual formation and precision to transform society.
it can be done. That spiritual formation is a process of spiritual growth, maturity in Christ. The process of spiritual formation is what we are calling as an organic, lifelong, holistic process involving right thinking, right behaviors, right feelings of individuals and communities. And today, I want us to get up and know that we are called, we have an assignment, and therefore we carry a spiritual mandate. May that be your portion. I've spoken for a full hour today, but this is done. We're done with this. We're ready to celebrate this afternoon. And this afternoon, our focus, I hope you see it posted already, our focus this afternoon is on embracing the realm of the immeasurably of the immeasurably powerful and unimaginable things. We'll be looking at that this afternoon. So I want you to come just now. Choir, come. Let's all stand. God is in the house and your rescue has been pronounced and determined. Receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.